invite you to turn with me in your Bibles once again to the book of Deuteronomy, uh, this time chapter 28. Uh, we're continuing to make our way through the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter by chapter, and uh, <clears throat> we've come to this lengthy chapter uh, of chapter 28 containing the blessings and curses of the covenant. This chapter, it really is one unit, and I think I mentioned last week that I toyed with the idea of trying to preach on the entire chapter, um, but then I read the chapter out loud to myself, and it took me 15 minutes just to get through the reading, so I thought I'd, I'd better break this up a little bit. Um, so last week, we looked at the first 14 verses, looking at the blessings of the covenant, and today we're going to consider the curses, which is a lengthier section. So we're going to, going to begin, uh, we're going to read one of the opening units and the concluding, concluding unit. So verses 15 through 26, and then verses 58 through 68. Uh, let's hear the word of the Lord together. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments, and his statues that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish and the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder from heaven Dust shall come, upon, shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth and there shall be no one to frighten them away. Now jump forward then to verse 58. Let's read to the end of this chapter. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting, 
And he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back and ships to Egypt A journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyer. Well, to understand the Bible, it's important to read the parts in the light of the whole. And so when we come to a passage like Deuteronomy 28 about the blessings and curses of the covenant, we we need to read this chapter in the light of God's unfolding plan. We, We did this last week as we considered the blessings of the covenant conditioned on full and faithful obedience to the whole commandment of God and we saw that if the blessings were ever going to come to God's people and overwhelm them that Israel as a people would need to be embodied by one faithful Israelite and that one faithful Israelite of course is the Lord Jesus Christ who obeyed to the point of death even death on a cross. And so he has received the name that is above every name. He has been exalted above all peoples and has ascended through the clouds into the very storehouse of God. And from there, he now pours out blessing on his people, even as we anticipate the fullness of covenant blessing that is yet to come. But we need to do the same thing this morning as we think about the curses, right? The verses before us today also look to the future, but not, but not in a positive way. 
They anticipate the future negatively. Some folks have described this as negative eschatology, describing, if we had the time, I would have read the entire passage to us because it's part of the meaning of the text. The reading of this, it's, it's unending. It goes on and on and on and on, and that's actually part of the message. It describes in nauseating detail the devastation and destruction that will come upon all who disobey the commandments of the Lord. And in particular, the destruction that will come upon Israel as God's covenant people for disobedience. And and we need to appreciate this morning as we reflect on this, that in light of last week's passage on the blessings, not only did Jesus faithfully obey the whole commandment of God for us, he also redeems us from the curse of the law by suffering in our place in Deuteronomy 28, 28 terms. So here we really are. We, are, we are gazing, we are looking at another aspect of the glory of our Savior and what it meant for him to become a curse, to bear the covenant curse, and what it will mean for those outside of Christ, for the unrighteous to be judged in the wrath of the fury of God. And so the curses proclaim the gospel from another angle. It tells us, it tells us of the love of the Father who did not spare his only Son, but delivered him up for us all in these terms. It tells us of the love of Christ who loved us to the very end. There's no doubt about it. Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 through 68 paint a disturbingly dark and bleak picture. <clears throat> and we can't cover every detail here. So what I, what I want to do is I want to try to focus on one particular theme and trace it out through Scripture. And one theme we find here in Deuteronomy 28, and I want us to see how it develops as God's redemptive purposes are further revealed. Now this theme, it's found in both the blessings and the curses of Deuteronomy 28. It is the way that the fortunes of God's people and God's land go together. So go the people, so go the people in this covenant with the Lord, so goes the land. The blessings and curses of the covenant have bearing on both people and land. The two are inextricably linked. As goes the people, so goes the land in this special covenant relationship. And that means at the very least that we cannot think about the blessings and curses uh, in purely individualistic terms, though they certainly relate to individuals. When these promised blessings or curses come upon the people, they also come upon the land itself. So the blessings and curses of the covenant 
are not merely immaterial or, or spiritual. Instead, they reflect the connection, the deep abiding connection between the people and the land within Israel's theocracy. So to trace this theme through redemptive history, we're, we're going to first look at Deuteronomy 28, and then we'll turn to the prophet Isaiah, who self-consciously reflects upon Deuteronomy 28 as the curses are coming to fruition within Israel during the Old Testament. And then finally, we'll turn, like I said, to Paul in Romans 8, who relies on both of these passages. And the big idea for this morning is simply this, because Jesus loved us to the end of being cursed. Covenant blessing will extend to God's people and to God's land. So beginning with Deuteronomy, you, you cannot miss the link between the people and the land. We saw this last week, how the blessings involved blessings of the land. Indeed, in some ways, the blessing of, of God was mediated through the land. So the blessings of the covenant included things like the fruitfulness of the land, fruitfulness of the, the fields, fruitfulness of the cattle and herds, and, and uh, blessings within the home as well. It's, it's a blessing of a very physical, material kind. Okay, And once again, as part of God's covenant blessings within Israel's unique situation as a theocracy, and remember, we've said throughout our series in Deuteronomy, Israel was organized by God to be an earthly picture of heavenly reality, or tragically, as we see in this passage, a hellish reality. The curses maintain the very same connection between the people in, in the land. Right? If, if the people disobey the commandments of God, you can... You can take all of the blessings that we read in verses 1 through 14 and flip them over. We can invert them, and that's what you have being described in this passage. The curses involve the field, the kneading bowl, the fruit of the ground, flocks and herds. Curses also include physical realities of drought, pestilence, diseases, and strikingly, scorching heat and dry dust, which destroys and perhaps most significantly, it, it comes up a couple of times in this passage. The curses that come upon Israel echo the plagues of Egypt. Did you notice that? Moses, Moses is saying to the people, the very things that you saw come upon and overtake the Egyptians will come upon and overtake you. And these curses culminate in Deuteronomy 28 with Israel going back in ships to Egypt to sell themselves as slaves, but there is no buyer. Now, why are these references to Egypt so significant here? Because I think the, the, the Egyptian plagues, as they are described in Exodus, are not are not random supernatural acts of judgment. They are acts of judgment, but judgment of a very particular sort. 
In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, when God created the world, he brought order out of disorder. And in the plagues, you have the reversal. You have the very reversal of creation into decreation. What is orderly becomes disorderly. What is contained and restrained becomes unrestrained. The very water that God gave for life turns to blood. The very creatures given to be under the dominion of man now overtake man and afflict him. The, The very darkness that God had divided from the light now swallows up the light and everything goes black. The plagues are a reversal of God's good order in creation, a matter of decreation. And this is the form of judgment described for disobedient Israel. And this is because Israel, again, is an earthly picture of the new creation of promise where comprehensively, materially, and spiritually, it will be God's habitation in and among his people. A world permeated by the glory of God. And and in this way, then, Canaan was to be a kind of new garden of Eden. This is why Canaan is routinely described in Edenic-like terms. Eden was the original place of God's habitation where he, he blessed the man and the woman and he placed them within a fruitful and abundant land, a land full of life. But after man's fall, it became the place where sin brought the curse. You remember? Do you remember what God said to man after the fall? Remember this connection between the people and the land. Cursed is the ground because of you. Adam's sin not only brought ruin in his relation to God and in relation to uh, the woman, but also in relation to the material world. The earth itself came under the curse. And this same reality is found within Israel's theocracy as the, as goes the people. Again, so goes the land. In Genesis 3, the land is, is overtaken by thorns and thistles because it has become subject to the curse. Man's sin brings about material expression in the world and living in a cursed and frustrating world is a perpetual reminder to all of us, isn't it, of our spiritual condition and the world in which we live. And with all of this in mind, we can understand what is being said here in Deuteronomy 28. We can recognize why this is such a horror, right? Should Israel be disobedient, she will become a horror with a trembling heart and a languishing soul. And right alongside that in Deuteronomy 28, we we see that the curse is not unique to the man, but also part of the land itself. Canaan, instead of being a picture of, of God's holy and fruitful habitation among his people, it will be a picture of a cursed 
and hellish place. It becomes a disease-filled land, a pestilent land, a dusty land. Everything becomes barren and unfruitful here. Scorching and fiery heat and powdery dust bring devastation everywhere. Nothing flourishes here. Nothing is born or grows here. Everything dies here. This is a place of perishing. It is a land you see that has come to reflect the reality of its inhabitants. It is, it is a land that reflects the spiritual condition of its people. The land's prospect is so deeply related to theirs that it reflects their condition. The ground itself, we can say, has come to have a languishing soul that groans under the curse. And so you see, just as with the thorns and thistles of Eden, and so, so Canaan has become a cursed place of death. No bread, no offspring, no fruit, no flocks, no herds, no health, no rain, no relief until you are destroyed, the text says. What is, what is this describing? It is describing a place of death, isn't it? Canaan has become a graveyard. It was supposed to be an earthly picture of the heavenly realities of life and blessing in all of its fullness. But instead, because of Israel's disobedience, it becomes a place of horror and death marked by languishing people living in a languishing land. So we have to ask the question, why is death such a prominent theme here in Deuteronomy 28? Well, certainly we can say the wages of sin is death. Just because, but another thing I think we can say is because just as the blessing of covenant obedience is abundant life in all of its material and spiritual realities, so the curse of covenant disobedience is death in, in all of its horrific consequences. And just as the land was a place of fruitfulness and life for covenant obedience, so it becomes a place of barrenness and death and devastation for disobedience. So you see, both Eden and Canaan, they teach us an important lesson that we, we must never, ever forget. We, we need to remember it because we, we live in a society that tells us a counter-narrative. We need to remember, brothers and sisters, death is not natural. Death is not natural. As a consequence of covenant disobedience, death is violently unnatural. Death is, think about it this way, death is unnatural for God's image bearers who are made in the image of a God who is life itself. For image bearers to die is a tragedy. And the ground, the earth, the, the land under the curse must now unnaturally serve as a depository for the dead. 
And so it groans too. It languishes. It groans because this is not what the land was made to do. This is not what God create, God's created ground does. It, it wasn't created to serve as a storehouse for dead image bearers. It wasn't designed by God to cover over the dead. So unnatural is this that the ground cannot but groan as a graveyard. So, so great a distortion is the death of God's image bearers that the gro- earth groans and longs for release from this burden of being a graveyard. And so brothers and sisters, we must, we must not ever think death is natural. It, it is not. There is not anything natural about the death of God's image bearers. It never comes naturally. It is a tragic distortion of what ought to be. And as a reminder of this, creation itself groans as it covers over the dead, longing for release. And how does this release come? Well, it comes, it comes in the resurrection, the redemption of our bodies. And, and if, you think it's a, if you think it's a stretch to personify the earth as groaning and longing and moaning, then, then please turn with me to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 24. Now, as I said a few moments ago, Isaiah 24 is a self-conscious reflection on the part of the prophet on Deuteronomy 28. If we had time, we don't. We could, we could look at all of the ways that Isaiah is reflecting directly on here on Deuteronomy 28. And I think it's important to recognize that Isaiah is writing at a time when the curses of Deuteronomy 28 are slowly but surely being realized in Israel. And in Isaiah 24, verse 4 and following, we read, The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. For they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched. Few men are left. The wine mourns. The vine languishes. All the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourine is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing, because that's what God's people do when they experience God's blessing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. So you see the language there. The earth mourns. The earth languishes and withers. Why? Because the people of God have broken the everlasting covenant. 
And so the earth groans. And what is, what is the release that the earth groans for? We find the answer in Isaiah, if you flip forward to chapter 26, which is the same part, it's part of the same unit, okay? Same unit in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 26, verses 17 through 19. What is the earth groaning for? Listen to these words. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. Verse 19. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to its dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. So in, in light of the ground being cursed and man being condemned to die in Genesis 3, in light of the death described, in light of Deuteronomy 28, and, and now in light of Isaiah chapters 24 and 26, it isn't hard to see what the earth is groaning and longing for, is it? In Isaiah, the earth is groaning as a graveyard longing to give birth to its dead. The earth is described as a pregnant woman right alongside of Israel longing to give birth as it groans and moans and when it gives birth, what does it give birth to? To its dead. And Isaiah 26 tells us something even more specific about the dead who, who are released. God's great act of final deliverance through resurrection is a matter of vindicating those who have suffered for the sake of God's name. This, this final act of deliverance through resurrection is a matter of vindicating those who have, whose, whose blood was shed unrighteously. The earth which longs to disclose its dead, to uncover its dead, specifically longs to disclose the blood shed on it and no longer cover over those who have suffered for righteousness' sake. Is this starting to sound familiar to you? I think we're ready to go to Romans 8. Because you see, if it's unnatural for God's image bearers to die and for the ground to be turned and corrupted into a dep depository for dead bodies, the dead bodies of God's image bearers, how much more tragic, how much more tragic to cover over the bodies of God's children, of his sons, and daughters, think about that the Lord of life would have children who die and perish cannot stand. 
God won't have it. And creation itself eagerly longs and groans to give birth to the righteous, those who trust in the Lord and wait upon him. It's, a, it's groaning is due to its role, you see, in covering over the children of God, and its liberation comes in the release of the children of God through resurrection. Now, with that in mind, I think we can see what Paul is saying, perhaps in a fresh way, in Romans 8. Paul's dependence on Deuteronomy 28 and Isaiah 24 and 26 is obvious. It's on the surface of the page. It's all background to what he says in the passages that we've covered already. Man's sin has resulted in the earth itself becoming subject to the curse. Where it now plays the unnatural role of graveyard. Serves as a depository for dead bodies. The bodies the dead bodies of God's image bearers. But Paul says the creation longs and groans in the pains of childbirth until now, longing to release the children of God to everlasting life in bodies resurrected and made new. And brothers and sisters, as we reflect on this theme as it unfolds, in scripture, we can be assured of, of this reality because the, birth, the, 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 the earth has already given birth to one of its dead. The very one, let's consider it in light of Deuteronomy 28, the very one who faithfully and fully obeyed the whole commandment of God and then bore the curse is the one who emerges from the tomb, from out of the ground as the victorious second Adam, the true faithful Israelite, the true Israel of God. It is this Jesus who could not be kept in the grave. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ died on the cross bearing the hell of covenant judgment in, in all of its fullness. And after faithfully and fully obeying the whole commandment of God, after bearing the dreadful curse for our souls, after being put in the ground, right? Covered over by the earth. The father did not abandon his soul to the grave or let his holy one see corruption. But instead on the first day of the week, which is really the first day of the new creation, the earth gave birth. The earth gave birth. Out of the tomb emerged the victorious second Adam, the true and faithful Israel, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And you see, because he lived, and because he died, and because he rose for us, we can know that when our loved ones depart, 
who trust in Jesus, they are kept safe. We can know that when we are put six feet under, covered over by dirt, that the Lord has us. And we can, we can know that a day is coming, a day of release is promised where creation will be set free from the curse as the children of the living God are raised to everlasting life, to be with God forever in a world made new. In a new heavens and new earth, a place of life and fruitfulness and abundance where the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so you see this chapter of Deuteronomy 28 about blessings and curses leads us. Where does it lead us? It leads us at the end of the day to repent and to trust in Jesus who obeyed and suffered for his people so that we could be overtaken by blessing. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we, marvel, we marvel at your love for us, that you did not spare your son, but delivered him up for us all. And Lord Jesus, again, we thank you that you have loved us to this end of becoming a curse for us, to redeem us from the curse of the law, to set us at liberty, and to make us heirs. We look forward with hope and anticipation to this day of release when you will return and with a shout, the dead in Christ will be raised and the world will be made new. We pray that you would hasten that day, O oh Lord. But until then, keep us, um, keep us in faith and fill us with hope, resurrection hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all of these things. Amen. I'm going to uh, read for us uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I'll ask you a question this evening, or this morning. Uh, where, where are you headed? Where are you going? And I don't, I don't mean right after the service. I don't mean later this week. I mean, when all is said and done, what will be your final destination. Deuteronomy 28 forces us to come to terms with the fact that there are 
two ends that can be summarized with two words, blessing, cursing. Blessing refers to fullness of life, abundance in God's presence. Cursing is the polar opposite, isn't it? Describing emptiness, devastation, and death. We need to appreciate, brothers and sisters, that Jesus experienced cursing in its fullness to bring us blessing. And in that context, think about the Lord's Supper and and the reality that's taking place and what Jesus is communicating to his people today by welcoming us to come to the table. Because the reality is that the Lord Jesus took hold of a cup. A cup that the prophets talked about as the cup of the wrath and the fury of Almighty God. And he drained that cup to the last drop in order to give you the cup of blessing, the cup of salvation, the cup of fellowship and friendship with God. See, the reality is on the cross, Jesus became a curse for us to redeem us from it. And do you see what that means? That that means there is no curse around the corner waiting for you, brother and sister in Christ. There's no cup of wrath that one day is going to be pressed to your lips because that cup has already been consumed in its fullness so that Jesus can say, here, take this instead. The cup of blessing. The cup of unending fellowship with the living God. And so as we come to the table this morning, I I, I simply want you to, to remember one of the central things that Jesus is saying to you every time you come to the table trusting in him. And it's the assurance that I gave my body, I shed my blood to take away your sins. And all there is for you now is covenant blessing. So come to the table today and remember that Jesus puts within your hands the cup of salvation, the cup of blessing testifies to this reality that Jesus Christ became a curse for you so that you could be overtaken and overwhelmed by God's indescribable blessings. This is a table that is is open to all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and who are members in good standing of a church that proclaims the gospel. If that is you, come and in the language of Song of Songs, 
Let me back up and say this. You know, the cup of wrath, one of the images we find in the prophets is it's a cup of staggering. Right? You get, you get drunk on the judgment of God until you stumble around in a stupor. At the table, the Lord Jesus invites us to come and be inebriated on His love. To know His love to that extent that we are, we are filled with rejoicing. And to that end, let's come to the table to fellowship with Him. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, thank You for giving Yourself for us, for becoming a curse. To redeem us from the curse of the law so that we could share in your blessing. We pray that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning, that we would experience a fellowship with you, know what it means to receive the cup of blessing. Work in our lives this morning so that we are conformed to your image and become more and more like you, faithful and obedient to the commandments of our good and gracious God. And we pray for any who are here this morning who have never trusted in Christ. May they, may they reflect upon this question, where am I headed? And we pray that today would be a day of salvation. Pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.